right. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And just a few pages before that, in uh, the last chapter of Hebrews, so before Peter is James and then Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your gift to the church of, of elders, of, of pastors, of overseers. Lord, we thank you that you have called your church to be led by a plurality so that those of us who lead might, um, might have our weaknesses compensated for by that of others, might have our sins corrected by others, and that together we might have uh, more gifts and more wisdom and more voices with which to proclaim your word and to lead your church. Lord, you have set clear examples for us of what that is to look like. And so we pray that, that uh, the elders and pastors here at Trinity Baptist would be humble and lead with gentleness and would, would care for the flock well. Lord, we thank you for this Sunday with which we get to, uh, to learn and think about and celebrate uh, the, the goodness of what you have brought us through and the goodness of the future of where you will lead us as well. Lord, this morning I think of First Assembly here in Walla Walla as they uh, possibly gather. I'm not sure exactly what they're doing. But Father, we ask that you would give their leaders wisdom, knowing that you will, that they would uh, care well for that flock there, that they would uh, go with the gospel into the world and share not only here in Walla Walla, but to the ends of the earth, the greatness of Christ. Lord, we ask that you would keep them faithful to the gospel, to the pure message of Christ and his death and resurrection, which secures our pardon, and that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, that we can be forgiven of our sins. Father, we ask that you would bless them in accordance with their faithfulness to the gospel. Lord, we think of Peter and Debbie Dodd, and, and we thank you for the praises that they have shared with us uh, as they um, have uh, had ministries happen at, uh, jo- at the Joy House that they have there in Taiwan, and as kids have continued to come, Lord, we thank you that they are uh, continuing to be present there and to, uh, to learn about the scriptures and Uh, Lord, we thank you that some of them are even professing faith in Christ. Father, we ask that you would uh, give them wisdom in their ministry uh, to to these kids. Lord, as they've given us prayer requests to pray for as well, we want to bring those to you, knowing that you're aware of them, but we ask you to work uh, for their benefit. Lord, we we think of Peter as he faces uh, the potential of a third back surgery and uh, once wisdom, knowing as to whether or not this would be a wise way to move forward. Father, we pray that you would give him relief from the pain and the difficulty of, uh, that is going on there in his back and, and give them wisdom to know whether or not this surgery is wise. Lord, we think of their daughters uh, and we ask that you would help them to stay healthy. Lord, we particularly think of one who is hoping to come in December to visit for Christmas. Father, we ask that you would work uh, things out for her to be able to get the visa and to be able to join them. Lord, as they are hoping to go on furlough, 
next summer, we ask that you, would, uh, that you would make that happen, that they would be able to come home and get rest and see friends and family and uh, t- attend to the things that they need to attend to here. And Lord, as there are tensions in Taiwan over many things, no doubt, Lord, we ask that you would uh, just bring peace into uh, their lives, Lord, that they would be able to live uh, quiet lives and be able to share the gospel with those around them and with these kids to whom they're ministering and others as well. Father, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would give us open eyes and soft hearts to it. Lord, we think also uh, this morning of Bob and Teresa Reister, as Bob's sister is in the hospital and has COVID and is in intensive care and on a respirator. Lord, we ask that you would give her health, that she would recover from this. Lord, we ask that you would give that family peace, knowing your sovereign control of all things. So Lord, we, um, we ask your blessing on our time and in this service today. And we are grateful for the opportunity to be here. Glorify yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have mixed emotions over uh, the elders here at, at Trinity. Don't take that the wrong way. That's, that's not a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a really good thing because I'm excited for what the future of ministry and leadership looks like at Trinity Baptist Church. The reason I, it's mixed emotions for me is that I'm a little sad over what COVID has robbed the church of. And it, I, I hate to use the word robbed because in some way it's like God got it wrong, which he certainly did not do. But, you know, after the last two and a half years, uh, which I think um, I've heard from a lot of people have been hard, but I, I think as a church, we ought to be very grateful Uh, for the last two and a half years, and you ought to be greatly encouraged. It is not easy ever to have the loss of a a loved and a dear pastor, but that happened. Uh, And then a church assessment came, and then constitution changes, and the appointment of elders and a new pastor. And I would say over the last two and a half to three years, Trinity Baptist Church has done incredibly well. But uh, I would have hoped for Trinity that with the appointment of elders would have come this great time for relational ministry where the elders got to, uh, to meet with people and to spend time with people and to, to show the joys of ministry that elders can be. And unfortunately, that has not happened. The elders have received a battlefield commission. They have been thrown into the deep end of the pool of what it means to be an elder and to make hard decisions and uh, to know that whatever you do, the church, there will be some who agree and some who will not, some who will be pleased and some who will be displeased. But all in all, I think the church has done very well and it would have been my hope that the start to the ministry of the elders would have been in a less tenuous and, and stressful time. I think all of us understand that the times right now, not only in the church, but in the world, are difficult. But when times are hard, you kind of just put your head down and go. And I'm pretty certain that there's going to come a day in the future when all of this is gone, all of the quarantine and lockdown, can we sing, not sing, how many people can be in the building, chairs spread out, watching at home online, and all of the difficulty that comes with all of that. And we'll look back on it and go, man, that was a lot tougher than we really thought. But here we are in the midst of it. And Trinity has done well. And and I believe that a plurality of elders is God's good design for the church. 
Uh, in Scripture, the elders were always appointed by the laying on of hands of the church, by affirming the ministry to which they were called and empowered by God and by the church to do. And so we will, in today's service, have the opportunity to bring the elders up and we will lay hands on them and pray for them and affirm their ministry. And, and there's going to be an opportunity for not only the elders to affirm their commitment to the church and, and their ministry in the church, but for the church to affirm them as well. But before we do that, I want to look today at the role of elders. What do elders do? And then in response to that, we're going to look at the responsibility of the congregation. So number one on your outline there is the role of the elder, the role of the elder. And we're going to see that in 1 Peter. Uh, so if you're still in Hebrews, uh, turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And we're going to look first at the work of the elder, the work of the elder. Now, I would say that that's going to be found in verses uh, 1 and the first part of 2. So follow along with me as I read that again to you. So, Peter says, we're going to come to that so in a minute. It's there for an important reason. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd. Misconceptions abound about the role and responsibility of elders in the life of the church. Some view it as a, a board that isn't really involved in the church and simply makes decisions. Others think it might be like a group of old cronies controlling an, an organization. Others might see it as power brokers or maybe even power holders who simply make decisions, hand it down to the church, and get what they want. All of these conceptions about what it means to be an elder are wrong. The work of an elder in the life of the church is distinctly a shepherding work. I think nothing in the world that God has made is by accident. I think God made food so that Jesus could say, I am the bread of life. I think he made water so that Jesus could say, I am living water. And I think he made sheep so that he could tell us that we are his flock. Now, most of us probably understand that there's a sense in which being called sheep is not a good thing. Uh, sheep are not like any other livestock. Most other livestock can be left alone, and they'll fend for themselves and tend themselves, and then you just slaughter them and eat them when the time comes. Sheep are not so. Sheep are unlike all other livestock. They cannot fend for themselves. They require more care and attention than any other livestock. Unlike other animals, this is interesting, unlike other animals, they cannot find their way home. Most other animals have an uncanny ability to find their way home. In fact, this was years ago, maybe 50 years ago, there was a weatherman in San Francisco, California, who almost always got the rain right. And he was asked in an interview one time, what is it that you're doing that you, you always get it right when it's going to rain? He said, well, from my office window, I can look out and there's a pasture over there with cows in it. And when they head inside and go in the barn, I just predict it's going to rain. And he got a ride almost all of the time. Uh, most animals have a remarkable ability to find their way home. Sheep cannot. They're prone to wander. They stray, they get lost, and they cannot find 
their way home. They, like many other livestock, spend most of their time eating and drinking. But unlike other livestock, they cannot find food and water for themselves. They'll eat plants that are poisonous. They'll drink water that is toxic. They need to be led into green pastures. They need to be led beside still waters. They need care with their wool. The lanolin in their wool makes it so that debris is very likely to stick in them. And if not trimmed around their hind end, the wool will mat shut. And if not shorn, their eyes will be covered over. And when that, mat, that wool gets matted up on their hind parts, they can no longer defecate and are prone to disease and to sickness, and they must be cared for. They are defenseless and need a shepherd to protect them, and wolves particularly love sheep because they are defenseless and easy for the picking. It is no wonder that Jesus called the crowds sheep without a shepherd. The Old Testament, in fact, I read this, some of this in Ezekiel this morning, and even Jesus, they reserve their most harsh condemnation for shepherds who don't tend the sheep well, who fleece the flock. God made sheep so that he could tell us that we are his sheep, prone to wander, prone to consume the wrong things, needing great care and guidance, defenseless without shepherds. The church needs shepherds. And if ever there was a time when the flock is scattered, told it can't gather, restrictions are being put on it, where, where we are finding for good and maybe also some bad reasons to not be present with the church in worship, the church needs shepherds more than ever. That so that I mentioned in chapter 5, verse 1, it refers back to the previous verses in 12 through 19 of chapter 4, where Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a, as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing so. The church to which Peter writes is a church that is enduring suffering. It is enduring hardship. It is enduring persecution. It is enduring affliction. The church throughout history has been known to endure pestilence and sickness. What we are experiencing as Christians is not unusual or unique. Unprecedented is the most common word that you're going to hear in the news to talk about COVID. Uh, a little research in history will show that these times are not greatly unprecedented. In fact, I would say uh, maybe it's a little unprecedented at the speed at which the virus can travel because the nature of, of how we travel around the world so quickly today. 
But no generation in history has had the ability to receive such medical care and even to consider vaccines so quickly as we have. If anything about this is unprecedented, it's that we have less to fear because modern medicine has come so far compared to previous generations. But this church here that Peter writes to is enduring difficulty and hardship, and then Peter says, so, because persecution comes, since there is hardship, since you will suffer and be insulted in the name of Christ and go through hard things, because of all of these things, I exhort the elders among you to shepherd. If ever the church needed shepherds, the church has always needed shepherds, but if ever Trinity Baptist Church needed shepherds, today is that day. The church is scattered. It is experiencing hardship. Christianity is becoming increasingly unacceptable in our world. And most of us, right, wrong, or otherwise, this is a confession from me, we're tired of it. And frustrated, we need to have our souls cared for. Elders, shepherd the flock of God. Do not command like soldiers. Do not drive like cattle. Shepherd like sheep. Lead us to green pastures to still waters where we can feast on God's word and drink deeply of his grace and be like those trees in Psalm 1 planted deeply beside the waters. The work of the elder is distinctly caregiving and leading like a shepherd. Secondly, uh, Peter tells us about the flock in the second part of verse 2. So he says shepherd, but then he says that we are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The flock of God that is among you. I think there are two significant points here. Number one, you cannot shepherd a flock that you are not among. I've learned recently that shepherds today, or not shepherds, forgive me, uh, ranchers today can move, find, and, and, and even examine their cattle with drones. They launch a drone, and from a computer, they can fly the drone out to where the cattle are, and then they use the drones to push the cattle. And eventually the cattle become used to the sound of the blades of the drones. And so what they do is they change out the blades to a different style and type of blade that makes a different noise. And once again, the cattle are afraid of the sound of the drone and they can be pushed. All from the comfort of a house. A rancher can move his cattle. They'll find food on their own. They'll find water on their own. And eventually he'll bring them back home. But sheep cannot do that. Shepherds must be among the sheep. They must lead them to water, lead them to food. Shepherds must be with them. When, when the announcement of Christ's birth came to the shepherds, they were in the flocks with their sheep by night. Often the shepherd would bring the sheep into a fold, a pen with a small door that he could move them into. And at night he would lay in front of the door to that pen and keep them in. Shepherds must be among the sheep. They live with the sheep, 
They sleep with the sheep. They care for the sheep. So much so, in fact, that the sheep, as Jesus reminds us, know the shepherd's voice. They know the shepherd's voice. Again, I saw this uh, fascinating video where a a group, uh, several different flocks of sheep were placed together in a pen. And it was time for one shepherd to call his sheep out of the pen. And and there was some tourists there. And the shepherd gave the tourists the exact command that they would need to gather the sheep. And they sat there yelling and yelling and yelling to no avail. But the moment the shepherd said the same thing, the sheep came running. Because it wasn't the command that they heard. It was the voice of the shepherd The the shepherd had been among them. He knew them. He cared for them. He fed them. He protected them. Sometimes even by giving up, I mean, shepherds would lay down their life for the sheep as Jesus has for us. But you must be among the sheep. Live with the sheep. You must be present and available to the sheep. They should be in your homes. Last week, we preached about hospitality. Remember that to be inhospitable as an elder is to be unqualified from the job. It is not optional for us. Not only must we be with the sheep, but the sheep must be with us. We must be in their growth groups, in their adult Bible classes, in their lives, in their suffering, at the hospital. Oh, church, let me speak to you for a minute. When you are in the hospital and I don't show up and an elder does, count yourself blessed. I'll come to the hospital when I can, but I can't always be there. Chris can't always be there. Thad can't always be there. It is the elders who are to do the work of this ministry together. And part of the reason Men, why it is so important for us to be with the sheep is we should never lose sight of the fact that ultimately we're just sheep too. We're part of the flock. We are not the great shepherd. We are under shepherds. Not only do we see here that a shepherd cannot shepherd a flock that he is not among, notice what is said here. It is the flock. It is the flock of God. It is not our flock. It does not belong to us. There are two ways to say it is my church. If if we say that Trinity Baptist Church, if I say that Trinity Baptist Church is my church, I could mean one of two things. I could mean and should mean it is the church to which I belong. But it also could mean it is the church which belongs to me. It cannot ever mean the second. It must never mean the second. It must always be the church to which we belong. It is Christ who is the chief shepherd. We are simply under shepherds. The the sheep are not our sheep. They do not belong to us. They belong to him. And they are precious to him. And why is it that the sheep are so precious to our Savior and do not belong to us? Because it is not our blood that was shed to purchase the sheep. It is the eternal Son of God who became a part of his creation, who lived perfectly and sinlessly as you and I could not, 
who perfectly obeyed God's, God's law and as our substitute in death bore the consequence that we should, bore, uh, should have borne. And what purpose did he do it? That by faith he might buy back, redeem, purchase this flock of sheep to himself. They are precious to him. They are given at the price or bought at the price of his own blood. One commentator uh, Richard Lenski said this, and there's a, uh, a slide up here with this quote on it because it's kind of long. He said, flock brings to mind all the shepherd imagery found in the scriptures. The sheep, gentle, defenseless, liable to stray, needing a shepherd, happy, peaceful under his care, pitiful when lost, scattered, etc. This is God's flock that was bought at a great price that is exceedingly precious in his sight. A great trust placed into the hands of human shepherds who are, who are to pattern after Yahweh, the shepherd, the, and Christ, the ark shepherd. What shepherd could have the care of any part of God's flock and treat it carelessly? Peter's words are sparing I think my, I might have some of that cut off there. Peter's words are sparing, but overflow with tender and serious meaning. It is the flock of God. Thirdly, we see the character of the shepherd. The character of the shepherd. Peter goes on after calling us to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He says, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This short uh, list or, or bullet points from Peter starts out with one command to do, three commands not to do, and then like bookends offers another command for us to do. But because the sheep are precious to the shepherd, and because he laid down his life for them, the way in which we shepherd matters. And so Peter tells us first to exercise oversight. The word here is to look over or to, to oversee. It is not a domineering, controlling word, but it is a looking ahead word. The, the elders are to look ahead for dangers, to look ahead to green pastures and still waters, to keep and to tend the flock. There is some uh, idea here in this word of exercising oversight, of leading and having real and genuine authority, but is not, it is not to be a domineering or dictating authority, as he will tell us later. The elders first are to exercise oversight over the church. The first not then comes to us as not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. This, this idea of not under compulsion, but willingly has to be uh, weighed by some of Paul's statements. Paul was pretty clear to the churches that he wrote that he was under an obligation to preach the gospel and that he was compelled to preach the gospel. Uh, Paul is using the, that word compelled a little differently than Peter here. So this doesn't mean that there's not urgency. It doesn't mean that the spirit 
Spirit of God might not press us into the role sometimes with some hesitancy. It is to mean, however, that we serve according to the fear of the Lord and not according to the fear of man. Brothers, as you lead this church, as you exercise oversight, do so solely for the approval of the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Let the fear of the Lord drive you in your service and not the fear of people. The second not is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Whether it is for status in the world or status in the church or financial gain, whatever the case may be, there is to be no selfish, shameful gain that is to motivate us for being elders. I know of somebody who was a deacon at a church in Spokane. This was some years ago, and the church needed some serious renovation. It was, a, it was an old building. And a businessman in the community came to the church, not a member of the church, and he said, I will pay entirely for the renovation and remodel of the church, a significant amount of money, if you will place me on your board. It would have benefited him in that day and age to have been on that board. Thankfully, the church rejected the offer, and the church could not be bought. But this man, had he been placed on the board, would have been placed on it for shameful gain and not out of the fear of the Lord. The elder serves to serve God by leading the flock and not because of what he might gain from his service. The third not is not domineering over those in your charge. We are not to be harsh. We are not to be controlling. We are not to be domineering or manipulative. It is not leadership that seeks to control or use others. What is it then? It is the final statement here but being examples to the flock. What is it to be an elder? It is to be a man who leads by example. It is to be men who pray. It is to be men who read God's word diligently and faithfully, who are committed to teaching others, who love their wives and instruct their children in the fear and knowledge and admonition of the Lord who repent of their sins when they get it wrong and admit their weakness when they make bad decisions. We are to teach the word and to live what we teach. That is the character of the elder. And finally, uh, as far as the elder is concerned, number four under here, or D, the motive of the elder. Uh, Peter gives us the motive of being an elder, verse four. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the un." fading crown of glory. Athletes, competitors were not given trophies in the writing of First Peter. They were given crowns. Sometimes they were made out of foliage, greenery, leaves. Sometimes they were made out of metal. But in that day and age, the metal rusted, leaves certainly died, and there was a very temporal nature to the crown received for competing in a competition and winning. And Peter reminds us here as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory of God that is going to be revealed, that there is an eternal, unfading, and glorious reward for those who will, who will serve well. It will be a hard station in this life. It will be fraught with difficulty. People will be upset with you. 
People will think we got it wrong, and sometimes we will most certainly get it wrong. But for those who serve with the right motive and with the right character and by the right means according to the plan of God and his design for the church that he bought for his own blood, there is eternal reward. And so we must have our eyes fixed not on what we might gain shamefully in this life, but what God might bless us with gloriously in the next. Elders, here is my final charge to you. Serve this church in a manner that seeks the approval of the chief shepherd and not the approval of the church or the world. It is Jesus Christ and him alone who must approve of our shepherding. But it is not just the role of the elders that we must consider as we officially install these men today. It is also the responsibility of the congregation. The responsibility of the congregation. And we find that in Hebrews 13, 17. And by the way, uh, just from my perspective, I'll give you my own personal note here. Hebrews 13, 17 is incredibly simple and ridiculously hard to do. But here is the call. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The responsibility of the church is incredibly simple and incredibly difficult. First, the church is to obey. Simply put, the church is to obey her leaders. Why? Because there's some extra special authority given to me as an elder in the church to then control you? Absolutely not. The reason the church is to obey elders is because the first and primary task of the elders is to teach the word of God. And God commands our absolute and unconditional obedience to his word. It is not that I get to stand up here and command you what to do, how to live, how to run your business, how to run your finances, which car to buy, which house to buy, or anything else. Nor is that the privilege of any other elder. It is our responsibility, whether it be in growth groups, homes, from the pulpit, adult Bible classes, to speak the truth of the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that the church is called to obey. And so the church obeys. And secondly, the church is also to submit to the leadership of the church. Why is that? Because the chief shepherd has given authority to the elders to give it oversight. But, but what happens, Logan? What happens when the elders get it wrong? What happens when they, they make a wrong decision or the decision that I don't like or, or maybe one that, that just doesn't seem right? Well, here's the scary truth. For they, that is the leaders of the church, uh, who are keeping watch over your soul, will have to give an account. The elders of the church will have to stand before Jesus Christ someday an account for how they led the church purchased by Christ's own blood. 
You could through your anger and your rebellion or your tithe or leaving you with your membership to go somewhere else protest against the leadership of the elders. Or you could simply and graciously pray for them and leave them to the judgment of the one who bought you with his own blood. This is not to say that you should never speak up or challenge or discuss or think through or even argue with us at times. You should. If you think we're making a poor decision, if you don't think it lines up with God, if you think we're leading not to green pastures or still waters, you should speak up. Because I am a congregationalist, and I believe ultimately the church is in control, which is why elders are affirmed by a vote, as well as the hiring of a pastor. But this is to say that even when we get it wrong, God will hold us accountable. Notice what also he says here, and this is a little difficult. Uh, why? Why should we do this? Why should we obey? Why should we submit? Well, because not only will they have to give, them, uh, to give an account, but... You should let them do this with joy and not with groaning. The default position of the church ought to be, how can I help these men to serve the church joyfully? Why? Because if we do it with groaning, that is, as the author of Hebrews says, no advantage to you. The bottom line is that, that God has placed a plurality of elders in his church to lead it and guide it and feed it for your good and not for theirs. They're learning just as you and I are learning. But, but God is in control. And so as I've given a final charge to the elders, let me give a final charge to the church. Here is my final charge to you. Determine in your heart that you will be easy to lead. Follow in such a way that gives these men joy in their service. Because it is what is best for you and best for your souls. And they will give an account someday to the chief shepherd. I think the bottom line is that we are to be gracious with one another. Patient with one another. Enduring with one another. Understanding that sometimes those of us who have been called to lead God's flock as sinners ourselves in need of redemption, as having our primary identity as sheep and not as shepherds, we get it wrong sometimes. But we can always trust that Jesus never does. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of elders in the life of the church. We thank you that you never get it wrong, that this is your plan for your church and that your plan is good. Lord, you have bought us with the price of your own precious blood and we should not now think that you will give us anything that is less than what is best for us. Father, I thank you that even in the midst of the, the struggle that some things have been over the last two and a, and a half years, and even amidst the struggle with COVID, you are bringing us to, to green pastures, to still waters. Lord, I pray that Trinity Baptist Church might experience the good gift of humble, gentle elders who lead the flock to your word and to faithfulness to you and who do so with great kindness. Lord, as elders make us gentle and joyful, 
as a church, make us kind and gracious. Placing our trust in you and in your word to do all that you have promised it would accomplish. May this be done joyfully for our good and for the spread of the gospel and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As I have mentioned previously, uh, elders were installed in the early church by the laying on of hands, which we should understand to mean prayer. And so uh, I'm really excited about this, uh, just kind of formally affirming the elders. So if the elders would go ahead and come up here on stage, uh, I've got a copy of the vows because it'll probably be impossible to see, but come on up here, spread out if you would. If you need a copy of the vows, grab one from me. How we're going to do this is I'm going to turn around here and I'm going to face the elders and I'm going to ask them a series of questions which will be placed on the screen, uh, screens for you to see and to which they will respond. And then I'll turn and have the congregation uh, stand and ask you a couple of questions, asking you to affirm as well. And then we, that is the pastors, uh, will lay our hands on these men and pray. So men, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and covenant of this church contain the truth taught in the Holy Scripture? Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith and covenant, you will on your own initiative make known to the pastor and other elders the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow? Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Trinity Baptist Church? Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? Have you been induced, as far as you know, your own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder? And will you seek to oversee the ministry and resources of this church and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Trinity Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed? Thank you. And if the congregation would now stand with me, I'm going to ask you to affirm your, uh, your responsibility to God in this way. Do you, the members of 
Trinity Baptist Church acknowledge and publicly receive these men as elders, as gifts of Christ to this church? Will you love them, pray for them in their ministry, and work together with them humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving them honor and support in their leadership to to the glory and honor of God. Let's pray. Let's scoot over a little bit here. You guys are probably up in your own households a lot anyways, so I'll pull you guys in. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men. I know and have heard the burden that they feel, a right burden to, uh, not a bad burden, a glorious burden that causes uh, to be cautious and considerate as we think about leading a group of people so dearly loved by you and bought with the price of your own blood. Lord, I ask that you would give these men wisdom as they lead. I pray that you would give us all humility as we lead, that we would not think more highly of ourselves. Lord, that as a group and as individuals, we would be gentle, not domineering over the flock, but being examples to it. Lord, may we seek diligently to show ourselves approved, handling rightly the word of truth, that we might not have need to be ashamed. May we seek always to lead your flock, not to ourselves or to our will or to our ways, but to you and to your word that they might be well-fed, well-cared for, well-watered. Lord, may this church take seriously the call to go with the gospel, to share the gospel to the world around us, that we would not simply drink deeply from your word for what happens inside these walls, but what happens in the world, that your glory and your fame would be spread through us. Lord, may this church submit well to her leaders, and in doing so, give them joy that they might joyfully and without burden, serve the good of the church. Lord, we ask that through all of this, you would glorify yourself and do much good to and through us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.